Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today our topic is on being sorry. No, not just sorry, but truly sorry. The kind of sorry that is steeped in regret. A sorry that causes full awareness of the wrong we have done, true, deep, gut-wrenching regret. A sorry that is so deep and so felt there is no question left at the core of our heart that we are guilty. And with that full, agonizing, gut-wrenching understanding, you can do no less than cry out, yell out, yes, a true, full, open, sincere, uncontrollable confession. I will admit, I initially started this topic off to cover both confession and repentance, but as I was going through this and after reading my initial draft to my sounding board, Joe, who forces me to think about what I'm doing, I realized there is too big of a difference between confession and repentance to tie these two together. So next week, be sure to listen to the unplanned topic on repentance. But before we jump into confession, I want to very briefly provide an overview of how confession and repentance differ, and hopefully that will help you better understand why I am separating these two very critical and powerful words. First, confession in its truest, most honest form is to fully acknowledge and admit, tell and speak out our wrong, our errors, our sin. Keep in mind, however, confession, as we well know from listening to the news and examples in our own lives, is often not a confession and admittance of the truth and regret, but a blatant confession of lies to deflect and prevent any further inquiries that may ultimately expose us and the real truth. You know the ever so famous words, do you promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? In other words, Do you promise, do you agree to confess and acknowledge what is completely and fully accurate? And we know how that goes over all too often, and be sure to keep this in mind as we go through this message. In contrast, repentance differs in that it goes beyond the acknowledgement and verbalizing of the wrong and goes to the next level and that of change, a 180 degree kind of change, like absolute belief a complete change of one's mind, a going from one place to another kind of change. It's no longer simply being aware of what you have done, but actually doing something about it, and in a completely different way than you have ever done before. Furthermore, God's Word makes it very clear that we do not receive salvation through confession, but only by the action of repenting the 180-degree change, which is ultimately a wholehearted need to completely walk away from Satan and fully go to God, and that is the fullness of repentance. In a micro-summation, anyone can confess and acknowledge a wrong, while repentance is exclusively reserved for someone who does a 180-degree, stops denying God, and turns their entire life over to Him and receives the fullness of Jesus the Savior. And hopefully that gives you a clear understanding of how confession and repentance differ. Now let's dive into confession, and we're going to start off with what could potentially sound like a bit of contradiction to everything we have just discussed. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
So you say, see, you need to confess in order to be saved. Not quite. As we discussed in the example of confession, you can confess and even sincerely and sincerely acknowledge something, but acknowledgement, confession, is not automatically tied to truly believing because believing, repentance, is the actual change. And again, I can confess a perfect lie and not believe one word of my supposed acknowledgement of the situation. And inasmuch, there is no change and no intention of change on my part. So this message makes it clear that there are two parts to receiving Christ. One, acknowledge, which is true confession. Two, believe, which is repentance. But you exclaim the second sentence completely reverses the first sentence. So you don't know what you're talking about. You're just as confused as the Bible. Not quite. Because if we carefully study God's word and those God chose to write these things for us to know, we would understand that in this case, Paul often repeats himself forward and backward to make sure we can't legitimately twist the meaning to our liking. And this is a great example of that here. Paul said it one way and then the other, and they both mean the exact same thing. You speak out in truth, confess that you agree exactly who Jesus says he is, fully God, fully man, and Savior, while simultaneously believing, completely agreeing to 100% change, which is repenting, and with those fully in place, you will be saved. Remember, it isn't the order of things that saves you. It is the acknowledgement with action that saves. Let's continue. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And 1 John 4, 15 goes on to say, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Inasmuch as believers, we are required to confess God before everyone. Perhaps this is why God calls us to confess as it pertains to our acceptance of him through salvation. Could it be this is the first of many more times we will be openly acknowledging him before the world? Matthew 10, 32, 33. Whoever acknowledges, confesses me before others, I will also acknowledge, confess, before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns or denies me before others, I will disown or deny before my Father in heaven. And these words from Jesus take us right back to our initial passage from Romans 10. Again, the exact same things are repeated, just using yet another example. If you are not sincere in confession and repentance, you will not receive the promise of God, the gift of eternal life. But to truly confess is really hard. I know for me this is a big deal in my life because truly confessing for a wrong that I have committed against someone else and depending on the severity of what I have done wrong, it is very difficult to own up to that thing or things and humbly admit, detail by detail, the offense to that person's face and to God. And true repentance like confession should be painful. It must cause deep awareness that reaches to our core. It should cause our body to contort and wring our hands. You know how little kids get when they are caught doing something they shouldn't have? They more than often stare at the floor, have a very hard time looking into your eyes, and they practically braid their arms together and twist and flex their bodies around and around and side to side. And this physical and emotional expression is only present because it is truly reaching to the core of our life to drive us to a full confession and hopefully full repentance, and that of permanently turning away from ever doing that thing again. Unfortunately, as we get older, however, most of us build up a tolerance against allowing ourselves, no matter how much pressure we are put under to repent and confess to get honest and truthful. 
So why is it so hard, so very, very hard to just acknowledge, confess that we have done wrong and explain why we did it? Because we are afraid and very afraid of the consequences we know we will face if we are honest and confess. For example, if someone is involved in an affair, cheating on their spouse, it will always be done with considerable planning, in other words, lying, to make sure no one finds out and often at all cost. Text messages are deleted, phone passwords are changed, lie after lie are carefully crafted on what to tell the spouse or family. So much time and effort and planning and manipulation are concocted and just to make sure you will never get caught and have to confess. Note, just because you get caught and admit even potentially truthfully does not mean you will turn from the affair or still more future affairs. But inevitably, you will very likely get caught. And then you will inevitably concoct how to lie even more because we are already terrified of getting caught. But if we are so terrified of getting caught in consequences and confessing is so painful, just why do we engage in these things we engage in that put us in the predicament in the first place? Because this is Satan's way of driving a wedge into our lives to avoid God and what God desires and demands from each of us in both our relationship with him and each other. And so there is no better occasion to look at than the very first predicament that forced the very first sort of confession. Notice I said sort of confession. Genesis 3, 9. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now that is a confession, but severely lacking full acknowledgement of what really went down. And God immediately questions, or better yet, called Adam out to sincerely confess on his attempted cover-up of the entire truth. Genesis 3.10, who told you that you were naked? God said, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? But did being directly questioned by God after having done something so absolutely horrendous, life-altering, change Adam's heart to truly acknowledge, truly confess what he had done? Genesis 3.11, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Wow, evidently not. That's a bold statement from Adam to God. If you hadn't put her here, I wouldn't be in this messed up situation right now. This is your fault, God. I have nothing to do with this whatsoever. And that was yet another confession, even as insincere as it was from Adam, who was refusing to acknowledge his wrong and take responsibility to own it and see it. Yet, all along, Adam knew the full, painful, torturous truth deep down. And as the account continues, we see Eve engages in the exact same avoidance and points the finger at Satan. Doesn't this sound hideously familiar in our lives today? Potentially just moments ago or something we are in right now or planning on doing later today or tomorrow. No, you say, I would never do that. Well, you have and you will keep doing it for the rest of your earthly life. We're just not better than Adam and Eve and we pick and gorge on so much fruit every day. In fact, if we are ready to confess, many of us are bloated at the end of the day from all the fruit we ate. And what do we do? We run, hide, and attempt to cover it up and pretend nothing happened, just like we did when we were little. But here's the amazing part. God fully knew where Adam and Eve were and exactly where you are. He knew what was going on. He knew why they were hiding. He knew in advance Adam and Eve were going to accuse him of being the one at fault. Yet God still so lovingly just asked them questions, giving them and us the opportunity to get real and honest and confess. And that is so amazing to me.
Yet that isn't typically how I approach situations like this, especially if I know the offender is going to blame me for their problems. Think about that. Now let's read this encounter in its entirety, Genesis 3, 8 through 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Again, no sincere confession, just finger-pointing, blame, and carefully crafted confession, quote, better known as lip service, in hopes God just wouldn't know better. Sound crazy familiar? Almost sounds like you. Sounds like me. Sounds like every single person on the planet. But we know, each of us, that when we play this game, that only we think we are winning. We are so miserable, so overwhelmed, and we look so stupid and out of place. Think about it. Picture it. If need be, close your eyes and turn on the theater of your mind and picture Adam and Eve munching on this fruit and all of a sudden seeing themselves and each other completely different physically than they ever had before. Panicking as to what they would do when, not if, God swung by for a visit because after all, they hadn't a thing to wear. Imagine knowing you can't even run to the closet to grab a robe, a towel, not even a washcloth or two. All you realize you are left with is your hands, and that will definitely lead to a wardrobe malfunction when company arrives. And so they put their heads together and started sewing, and of all things, fig leaves. And it would be reasonable to gather that at least where they were at that moment, those were the largest and sturdiest leaves to hastily make some halfway durable clothing. And at this point, we can safely assume that Adam and Eve are in absolute despair and absolutely desperate for a full cover-up and had to have been emotionally and physically miserable. Yet, in all this, still no giving up to confess. I don't know about you, but I can attest that wearing fig leaves would have to be extremely uncomfortable, by virtue of the fact I have a fig tree in my yard. And I can tell you that the leaves are indeed quite durable, but they are so exceptionally rough, with a pretty gritty texture. And so the first eco-friendly, very biodegradable clothes were produced in an attempt to cover up the truth and an attempt to hide reality. But when God came to visit, they panicked again, knowing full well this wasn't going to work. Surely God would ask why they suddenly took interest in fashion and started playing dress up. And so when they heard God coming up the walk, Looking at each other in panic, they went streaking through the Garden of Eden, running for their lives to find some heavily planted area to duck behind and hide. Again, unending chaos, all in hopes of not being found out. But in the end, it was all for naught, and they were fully exposed, and they were forced to see and endure, fully acknowledge their actions and the subsequent consequences of their behavior. And they were kicked out of their comfort zone, out of the garden, shoved into the real world, into real pain and hurt and evil, to endure for the rest of their lives. And so it is with us right now, and for as long as we are on the planet. The question is, however, will we choose to suffer as a fraud, attempting to cover up, lie, deceive, and not confess? Or will we choose to be honest, open, truthful, really real, 
and truly confess with full acknowledgement that we have sinned. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we come before you full of pride and arrogance, full of deceit and cover-ups, and generally so unwilling to truly confess and acknowledge our wrongs, our sins. Please keep walking into our lives and calling us out from our hiding places. Please keep exposing us to the truth and that it may be ever so uncomfortable if we even try to hide even one thing that does not honor you. Inasmuch, we thank you for your incredible and unending love for us, that even when we fall, you work those moments and all moments in our lives together for good, for all who call on your name. And now we humbly ask all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are joining us by podcast, please visit our website at faceyourfaith.com for more information and resources.